Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Ask the RD. I'm Laura. I'm a graduate student at UNC Chapel Hill studying public health and nutrition, and I'll have my RD at the end of 2013. And I'm Kelsey, a registered dietitian in private practice specializing in whole food ancestral diets, and I'm working on my master's in nutrition and functional medicine. Thanks for joining us for our first ever public podcast. We're really excited that this will be a new feature on Chris's website, and we hope that you'll enjoy learning about nutrition-related topics. As a reminder, this is just general advice and should not be used in place of medical advice from a licensed professional. So you ready to get started with our first podcast, Kelsey? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Let's get it kicking. Okay. So this week, as our first podcast, we're focusing on adrenal fatigue, which we've received a lot of questions about, so we're going to try to condense it into one podcast. And we have two major questions that have come up frequently. So the first question is, what is adrenal fatigue and how do you get it? Really good question, because I feel like that's, you know, it's one of those terms that we hear a lot in the paleo world, adrenal fatigue. And, um... I guess the short answer to that is adrenal fatigue is when the body starts not being able to produce enough cortisol. Cortisol is our major stress hormone. And so when we can't produce enough of it, um, you know, we get really tired because it, it keeps us awake. Um, in the earlier stages, you might, you know, you have, might have trouble sleeping at night or just having trouble getting to sleep or waking up multiple times during the night. Um, a lot of people will experience blood sugar crashes, so they sort of get that like hangry feeling where they're hungry and angry at the same time, and you know a lot of um, just mood and anxiety sort of symptoms because of the blood sugar crashes. And basically, um, you know, those are going to be the main main symptoms that you're going to get from adrenal fatigue. So that's how you can sort of know. Um, if you have it or if you should get checked out for it. But adrenal fatigue is caused basically by too much stress is the short answer. Um, because our body, you know, can handle some short bouts of stress. It's sort of made to um, be able to handle that. You know, in, the, in you know, our ancestors would have had to catch food to eat. They would have had these short bursts of stress and then they would have had time to kind of sit and relax and eat. And, you know, there's these two extremes, really, where one is the fight or flight mode where the body's stressed out. You're producing lots of cortisol. You're having that stress reaction. And then the other times, you know, you're really relaxing and taking it easy so the body can kind of do other things like digest food and all that kind of thing. So I really like to call, instead of calling it adrenal fatigue, I usually like to refer to it as HPA axis dysfunction, um, which sounds really complicated. So a lot of people don't use that term because it's not a very good search term. You know, if you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on with your adrenals, you probably don't know much about the HPA axis. Um, but the HPA axis is basically, it's that axis between the hypothalamus, pituitary, and the adrenal glands. So all of them are connected. So what happens when, you know, we get stressed is first, um, you know, the, the HPA axis is sort of that control center for the reaction to stress. And it regulates a lot of other body functions like digestion and immunity. 
So when we get, we, when we're, you know, in contact with a stressor, say you're in traffic, maybe, um, the first thing that happens is something called CRH, which is corticotropin releasing hormone, is released from the hypothalamus. And CRH travels within the blood to the anterior pituitary gland, where it stimulates the production of adrenocorticotropic hormone. Long way of saying ACTH is a shorter way of saying that. So ACTH then goes through the blood to the adrenal cortex, where it ultimately stimulates the release of cortisol, which is the body's main stress hormone, like we talked about, and some other hormones like DHEA and others. So that's you know a brief biochemistry lesson as to how the body reacts when we get stressed out. That's what's going on in you know behind the scenes in the body. Um, and cortisol works basically to keep blood glucose elevated and to keep help the body retain sodium and fluid so that our blood pressure stays high. And our blood glucose can keep up with the fuel demands of the brain and other vital organs during times of stress. So, you know, high blood cl- glucose and high blood pressure don't sound good, but when you're talking about being in a stressful situation, those are the things that the body actually wants to prioritize. You know, you want to be, have that energy to keep going because if you're running away from a bear or something, that's what you want. Yeah. Not necessarily if you're, uh, you know, driving a, you know, behind a pickup truck or something exactly. on, a, on a high traffic day, but. And unfortunately that's sort of the problem is that we have all of these little stressors, but unfortunately they sort of cause the same reaction in the body. Um, right. Where, and it, I was just going to say, I think um, it's, you know, we talk about things like traffic as being a stressor, and I think a lot of people are very aware that that's something that's stressful, but I think one of the big problems with a lot of people's lifestyles is that there's a lot of um, kind of subconscious stress, if you will. I, You know, something like staying up too late to watch TV yeah. until 1 o'clock in the morning, like that's a stressor. Um, I mean, granted, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably eat pretty well, but people that eat junk food, that's a stressor. And, you know, you might not see that as being stressful. Uh, even things like overexercise, if you're doing CrossFit six times a week or something like that, like right. that's a stressor. So even if it's something that you think is not stressful or you think is healthy, it could actually be contributing to this response and making, you know, you more at risk for something like adrenal fatigue or, you know, HPA axis dysregulation. Right, exactly. You you know, that's a really good point because a lot of times, even though you might not feel overtly stressed, the body has already sort of begun that reaction. Um, And that's something a lot of us don't really think about. You know, we only think we're stressed when, you're right, we're sitting in traffic or our boss just yelled at us or something. You know, it's it's really, we only think of stress as those major, major things, um, but it can be something really, really small. Yeah, so, just as a disclaimer, Kelsey and our, Kelsey and my boss, he doesn't yell at us. <laughs> so that's not a stressor in uh, in the uh, in our life right now. Definitely. So. No. Chris is great, of course. <laughs> so, you know, under normal circumstances, uh, the HPA axis is, is really only activated when it's really necessary. And then fee- negative feedback cycles actually, you know, start to reduce the CRH and ACTH um, production so that we don't start producing a ton of cortisol again because we just had that HPA axis, you know, 
stimulated basically. So when it happens and you have good HPA axis function, you sort of will only get stressed when the body needs to, and then you calm down and it's, it's a normal function. You know, it's supposed to happen that way. Um, but unfortunately, especially, you know, in the modern world today, with all these little tiny stressors all the time or chronic stress, you know, we really just, it, it kind of places this really negative effect on health because we're chronically activating that HPA axis. So we really don't want that, you know? Um, and what happens is sort of in the beginning, it'll just be activated sort of chronically and the body can kind of deal with that. But over time, if it keeps happening, you know, you'll basically first go into what's called almost an alarm reaction where the body is, you know, it has increased levels of glucose. You, you might have high blood pressure. You know, cortisol is too high. Um, and then over time, when it, the body can't keep up anymore with all of that activation, um, basically you'll end up with too low cortisol over time. So would you say someone who has high cortisol is technically not experiencing adrenal fatigue? Right. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call that adrenal fatigue. They're, they're in that, I mean, I guess technically it is part of it. Um, that's why I like HPA axis dysfunction, that term better, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it is a dysfunction, but they're not like, they're not having that fatigue that is related to low cortisol. They're definitely not in that stage yet. Right. Well, I think it's important for people to know what stage they're in because if they have high cortisol and they're using certain treatments that are typical for adrenal fatigue, like right. like licorice or something like that, those yeah, you supplements. Don't want that. Yeah, so those supplements are used to actually make cortisol more effective. So if you're in the stage that you have high cortisol all the time, taking something like licorice is probably going to not help you. Whereas you know, if you're in the fatigue stage and you're not producing enough cortisol, that's where something like licorice would help. Exactly. That's but, a really good point to bring up. But so, we'll, yeah. we'll get to the treatments. I just thought I would mention that because um, it, it just popped in my head when you were talking about this because I think adrenal fatigue in general being such an um, unknown disease and, you know, in the standard medical field, we don't hear about that kind of thing. And that's not something people talk about in conventional medicine. So it's hard enough to talk about it as a phenomenon, but then understanding how it can be different between people and how different levels of adrenal stress and adrenal fatigue can manifest as symptoms. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a very complicated topic. So Kelsey's doing a great job giving you guys the basics, but you have to remember that um, it's very complicated and there's a lot of different factors that play in. Absolutely. But that's a really good point you brought up, you know, um, and you can get tested for your adrenal um, or your cortisol levels by doing a a salivary test. So you just basically spit in a couple tubes over the course of a day and they'll measure how much cortisol you're producing at certain times. So basically, you know, a normal cortisol curve is you'll have the highest amount of cortisol in the morning, like right when you wake up. And that's sort of what wakes you up because you're producing a lot of cortisol and that'll, it's kind of like your, you know, natural coffee a little bit um, in the morning, kind of keeping you awake. And then over the day, you'll just start producing less and less of it. Um, And then by the time, you know, you're about to go to bed, it's at its lowest point there. So 
you'll fall asleep easily. Um, and then it stays low, you know, for the, for the night. So you stay asleep and then, like I said, comes back up in the morning. So that's what it looks like normally. And sometimes um, as you go through these certain stages of, a, of HPA dysfunction, HPA axis dysfunction, the first stage you'll be too high. So your, you know, your cortisol might be high, you know, definitely in the morning, but it, it'll stay high basically when it should be going down. And then sort of when you're a little bit more advanced, you might have lower cortisol in the morning, but higher cortisol at night. So that's when you'll feel pretty tired during the day. Um, and then you're kind of wired at night. So you can't fall asleep or you have trouble staying asleep once you did fall asleep. Um, and then finally, in some pretty severe cases of adrenal fatigue, which is now this is when I would call it adrenal fatigue, is when the body just really can't keep up at all and it has very low cortisol production throughout the entire day. So would you count um, issues where people's cortisol is low in the morning and high at night as being under this um, terminology of HPA axis yeah, dysfunction? Yeah, I would. Because it's sort of, it's, you know, the rhythm is just off. So it's dysfunctioning in that regard. Right. So yeah, I would definitely count it there. But really, you know, the only place I would really call it adrenal fatigue is sort of in that last The last stage. stage. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. It's good to know because I think, you know, people have such different symptoms and have such different cortisol output that it's like, it's, you want to lump it into one you know, condition because it's easier to talk yeah. about, but then it's also, you know, it's really difficult for that to be useful for people that are dealing with cortisol issues. Right. So it's definitely and, important for people to get stuff tested if they, if they can. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things to think about too is sort of the earlier you catch this, um, it's much easier to go back. You know, once you're at severe adrenal fatigue where you're really not making much cortisol, it can be really hard and uh, in a long process to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. So if you sort of recognize the symptoms when you're kind of just wired all the time because you've got such high cortisol, you're always stressed, you know, that's the time to, t to make time to heal yourself and take some time for stress relief activities, all that great stuff that we always talk about that's when you want to do it. You know, mm -hmm. of course, it's going to be helpful at, at the end stage as well, because we want to really get the adrenals back to working well. But, you know, catching it early is definitely better. Right. I mean, it's not a terminal illness. So if no. you have end stage <laughs> adrenal fatigue, don't freak out. But um, it's definitely more challenging to rebuild the adrenals than to prevent them from getting to that point in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So, Laura, does that sort of give you an idea of what it is? Yeah, I think um, as we were saying, it's it's complicated because people can have such different issues when it comes to cortisol production and stress response and that kind yeah. of thing. So um, it's useful, I think, for people to know what the definition of adrenal fatigue is and what kind of variations there may be in a HPA axis dysfunction. Um, and that way, if you are able to get a cortisol test, which I think is pretty inexpensive and you don't need a prescription because it's a saliva test. Yeah, it's I'm usually about a hundred bucks or so. Yeah, which I mean, you know, obviously isn't really cheap, but, 
Um, it's if you're having major issues, it's something that is worth getting, and also you don't have to go to the doctor to get it. So right, um, depending on what state you're in. Right. Oh, really? I've I've thought yeah. that. Oh well, <laughs> I don't know why I thought a, uh, saliva tests were like you're allowed well, to do. Well, you them. know, New York is really strict about. Oh, um, I see. So I unfortunately that's something I have to deal with. You know, in, in a lot of other states, RDs can get you know tons of um, of tests ordered, but here we can't order any actually. So yikes! Unfortunately, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm in New Jersey right now, and normally in North Carolina, and New Jersey is similar. But um, I I think we can just get a saliva test. But if you have a good doctor or even certain medical um, professionals, like even a chiropractor, they can order right. these tests. So if you're in a, you know, worst case scenario and you really need it, you might be able to find someone that can order it for you. Yeah, absolutely. So if you suspect it, definitely get it tested. Um, and I think people would be surprised maybe to see their adrenal functioning. Um, because like we were talking about before, there's just so many little stressors that we do all the time. And I think actually one of the important things to mention for the paleo audience is that often people tend to restrict a lot of carbohydrates um, when they're doing a paleo diet, or at least when they first start, because that's sort of where you what you see on a lot of websites that it's you know pretty low carb. That tends to be the idea of paleo, um, but that's actually a stressor too. And so if you do that for too long, um, that could potentially kind of push you into HBA axis dysfunction too. Right. So just be careful with that and make sure you're eating enough overall too and not exercising like crazy. Yeah. Just taking general precautions and, and common sense to keep your body healthy too. Yeah. And certain people obviously are going to be at higher risk. So someone that works a you know, 50, 60 hour a week desk job or right. has a stressful job is going to have more issues with diet and exercise induced stress than someone who, I don't know, is a college student or something and is, you know, spending a lot of time hanging out and not really working as much as other people. So exactly. It's, uh, it's one of those situations where people are very individual with their responses. I think also just generally certain people respond more strongly to stress. I know I'm one of those people (laughs) type (laughs) A personalities that, uh, freaks out if I'm under too much stress, but, um, you know, it's, it's, I think that's why the testing is really important because not only can you figure out if this is actually something that is a problem for you, but you can also figure out how you might want to solve it. Exactly. And I think, you know, basically from here on out, when we're, we're going to talk about some of the things that you can do for adrenal fatigue, I'm going to be more focusing on actual adrenal fatigue, that sort of last stage or um, you know, where you have at least some times where you have too low cortisol, um, because that tends to be most of the time where people catch it. Um, and they know that something is, is going on because a lot of times it's just this excessive fatigue that people will experience. Um, and then they sort of can determine that something is wrong. So they might get tested at that point. Right. So I just want to say a couple other, you know, if you're thinking that this might be you, I know we discussed, you know, the excessive fatigue um, and that you might have trouble sleeping at night or you might feel like you get this second wind of energy sort of later in the evening um, and the blood sugar crashes. But I wanted to mention a couple other symptoms that you might be experiencing if 
you could potentially have adrenal fatigue. So one of them is something called postural hypotension, which is a fun way of saying um, when you're laying down to standing up, basically you'll get sort of lightheaded, maybe a little dizzy. Sometimes, you know, your eyes will black out a little bit. Um, And that's because when you stand up, your blood pressure is actually dropping instead of staying the same or rising a little bit when you stand up, which is the normal reaction. I've had that in the past, um, more when I was an athlete and I was exercising and sweating a lot. But um, for me, the symptom was that I would get up from a a chair, you know, from laying down and I would get really dizzy and get tunnel vision. So it's like Mm. around your field of vision, it starts to get dark and kind of, you know, closing in. It's it's definitely not fun. I feel like there was a few times where I almost passed out, but um, I tend to have low blood pressure. So that's a symptom that people should definitely be watching for. And um, yeah, and it's actually pretty specific, you know, to just a few things and adrenal fatigue is one of them. So, you know, like Laura mentioned, if you have maybe low electrolytes or something, if you're sweating a ton, then that's a possibility or just generally low blood pressure. Those could be explanations. But if you don't have either of those things and that's happening to you, definitely worth checking out your adrenal status too. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, if you have adrenal fatigue, then things like low blood pressure and inadequate sodium is actually symptoms. So, you know, it's not, even if you don't have Um, if you haven't been tested for adrenal fatigue, those can be two major symptoms that you might be experiencing from it. Exactly. So some other things too would be um, increased allergies or asthma symptoms. So some people will sort of just start getting allergies if they've never had them before or start getting asthma um, if they've never had it, or maybe they had it as a kid and it kind of went away, but now it's come back Um, or they just increased in severity. So if you have that symptom too, along with some of the other ones, definitely, again, think about getting your adrenal status tested. Now, do you know what that is from? Is that like a hypersensitive immune system or something? Or Well, basically, cortisol helps um, to, it, it, you know, it helps the immune system and it helps to calm inflammation, actually. Oh, okay. So, you know, basically, the allergy reaction can't happen if there's enough cortisol as long as you know, if it wasn't happening before and now you have too low cortisol to sort of prevent the ac- the reaction, that can definitely be part of it. Right. So I think that's why that happens. And that's not a really common one, but it does happen in some people. I, I feel like, I know I was like bring this back to my, my own experience. I definitely deal with um, stress-related health problems, admittedly. And I actually, just as you mentioned this, um, the last couple of years, I'd never had seasonal allergies before. And then the last couple of years, I feel like I've experienced a couple of short bouts of them. Not so much lately, but you know, a couple yeah. of years ago, I had never had allergies before and I just randomly one year got them. And I thought, you know, Oh, it's just cause I'm, you know, back. I was, I had been abroad and I came back to the United States and I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's the reason mm-hmm. why, but who knows? Maybe it was a uh, stress response. And, you know, I, I'll give my, you know, personal story with this, too, is that um, I I recently tested my adrenal status and mine was out of whack. You know, I had some low values there, which I suspected because a couple years ago I had gotten this really nasty cold um, and an upper res- respiratory infection. And that's that's actually a common 
instigator of um, of adrenal fatigue too is something some upper respiratory infection that that lasts for like a really long time. I think I had mine for maybe six weeks. You know, they didn't give me antibiotics or anything like that, and it was just really a horrible, horrible cough. And like, I got bruised ribs from coughing so much. Oh, like man. it was bad. And I had actually that spring before I had um, done a half marathon, which while really fun, I think, you know, oftentimes overtraining a little bit can lead to upper respiratory infections too. So there was a little bit of too much going on in my life and, and that, that definitely caused some issues for me. And one of the things that I noticed too was the, the increased allergies and, and asthma too. So not fun. Yeah. Well, definitely something people should be looking out for. Yeah. So a couple other things too is just recurrent infections. So if you're constantly getting sick or any other kind of infection that's going around that you just tend to catch everything, um, that's definitely something to look into. And again, that sort of ties into the immune system and cortisol. Um, What else you can get sometimes is cognition and brain, you know, brain, brain problems like memory issues. So if you're Kind of feeling like you have a brain fog or you're forgetful all the time um, that can that can be a sign of adrenal fatigue especially if you see it in combination with a lot of these other symptoms too mm-hmm. and then finally um, if you have a lot of cravings for salt that can also be um, a sign of this as well and we'll talk about why in a second cool so is that generally the most common symptoms so, that you yeah, see that tends to be the majority of them. So if you have a lot of those, definitely consider, you know, asking for an adrenal fatigue test, you could call it, or a cortisol test. They'll probably know what you're talking about. What about things like weight gain? Because I know that's common in people with high cortisol, but if you get to the point that you're not producing enough cortisol, do you, are there changes in weight or? Um, some people can lose weight, um, but Really, I don't notice a huge difference in weight um, unless, like you said, it's the high cortisol where they're kind of getting like belly fat. Because right. if you have a lot of cortisol, you'll you'll start putting on belly fat. Yeah, I just didn't know if um not that not that that's a good weight loss technique or anything, but I just <laughs> right. didn't know if if you're in the actual fatigue stage that if you were having high cortisol symptoms that maybe it would switch over to. Yeah, I mean maybe I just haven't really have had all that much experience with people having, you know, severe weight changes in in that stage, personally. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we can move on to the second big question about adrenal fatigue. What are the dietary recommendations for treating adrenal fatigue? Sure. So there's a lot that you can do actually for adrenal fatigue. So now we're talking actually about adrenal fatigue or hypoadrenalism, which you know, you're having low cortisol or at least a couple low cortisol moments throughout the day. So just to explain that, um, when you get a cortisol test, you'll do usually four um, cortisol tests during the day. So one is usually around 8 a.m. in the morning, one's around noon, one's around four, and one's around midnight. So of those four, you know, if you have one or two areas of low cortisol, like in generally it tends to be in the morning or afternoon, um, then that's what we're talking about. Or if you have low cortisol across the board, Mm -hmm. just to clarify. So in terms of diet, 
you know, basically a paleo diet is a really good good place to start. But there are a couple tweaks that you can make to it um, to to help with with low cortisol. And one of those things is like we talked about. One of the symptoms of low cortisol is having blood sugar issues, meaning that you get these blood sugar crashes where your blood sugar goes way too low, you feel cranky, um, you might get shaky or you're getting anxiety, mood swings, that kind of thing. Um, and what you want to do for that is to keep a relatively low, lower carbohydrate diet. Um, I don't mean low carbohydrate in the way most paleo people think low carbohydrate, probably a general just paleo diet with a, you know, maybe 150 to 200 actually grams of of carbohydrate would be okay. I don't like to see people going too low because again, that can increase cortisol production. So some people might think that 150 to 200 would actually be a high carbohydrate diet. Right, exactly. So that's like, I don't mean it in terms of what we think of as low, which might be like, you know, 100 or 50. Um, That to me is really low. Um, Mm -hmm. And it depends on how much activity the person is doing. So I, you know, I'd go somewhere between really like 100 and 200. And it really depends on the person. Um, Oftentimes people will tell me that they, you know, if they go lower than 100 or even at 100, they just don't feel like their blood sugar stays quite as stable. Um, So it really depends on the person and what activity they're doing, if anything. You know, at that time, if if you have really low cortisol, something that goes along with that is um, exercise intolerance. So you just feel really crappy when you're doing exercise where you're getting that postural hypotension, you know, where you're blacking out and things like that. It's just not a fun experience. Right. But if you're including some activity, definitely make sure you're getting enough carbohydrate to sustain that level. Sounds good. Yeah. So with that in mind too, um, you just want to make sure you're eating on a regular basis so you avoid getting those blood sugar crashes, often what you'll want to do is stick to like, you know, so, sort of like that five to six method of eating, eating where you're eating five to six times a day um, is often beneficial for people with blood sugar issues because the, if they go any longer than two to three hours, you know, they sort of get into that cranky, anxious, uh, anxious mode. So you want to make sure that you're eating pretty often, even if it's just a snack. You know, make sure you always have some type of food on you so you can eat if you feel right. an episode coming on. And I think it's important for people that have low cortisol output, especially because, um, as you mentioned before, one of the uh, functions of cortisol is to help release stored blood sugar. So, exactly. you know, we store we store glucose as glycogen in the liver, and when our blood sugar drops, which is totally normal... Cortisol is one of the hormones that is released to help release that um, that glycogen as glucose, and then our body can use it and, you know, brings our blood sugar back up to normal. But if you have inadequate cortisol output, when your blood sugar drops, you're not going to have that rebound release of glucose the way a normal person would, exactly. and then you're going to feel real, real crappy. <laughs> yeah, so it's not so. fun, and you, you sort of have to play with that a little bit um, to figure out what method of eating works well. But generally, um, for most people with low cortisol, you know, eating every two to three hours, definitely something that has some protein in there, that tends to 
sort of help get blood sugar pretty stable. Um, really, I try to get people to eat a little bit of carbohydrate, some protein, and some fat. So it's pretty balanced, um, and that'll that'll keep your blood sugar pretty stable throughout the day. Right. So in terms of, you know, what you're actually eating in terms of macronutrient ratios and when and how much, that's really what I recommend. And we talked about one of the things, one of the symptoms is that you crave salty foods. And that's because the adrenals kind of need salt to function well. So oftentimes if the adrenals are struggling, it's a good idea to give them some extra high quality salt. So just don't worry about, you know, you don't definitely don't need to restrict salt and you might actually want to increase your salt. Um, some people will like just even put it in their water because they just need a lot of it to, to keep even yeah. a good energy level. I mean, that's definitely something I do. Um, not the salt in the water, but eating lots of salt because, yeah. um, as I mentioned, dealing with things like hypotension and, um, excess sweating and that kind of thing. Like I, the, I'm the kind of person that needs salt like all the time. So yeah. something that I like to do is, um, certain days if I'm going to work out a lot or, you know, after a heavy workout, I'll add salt to like chicken broth or something, which I find to be a little bit more palatable right. than just straight water. water. Yeah. And, um, I find that that makes a big difference to, you know, how I feel and my, my blood pressure. Cause I get real, I get real dizzy if my blood pressure drops too yeah. low. So I'm very good about adding salt to everything, even when my friends make fun of me and say that, you know, that's so gross, you're eating so much salt. I'm like, yep, well. Well, I need it, so. (laughs) Yeah. No, definitely, I I agree with that. You know, it does make a pretty significant difference. Yeah, well, because the main, one of the main functions of the adrenal, as you mentioned before, is to retain salt, because. Exactly. In, you know, in the past, salt was not something that was easily you know, found in natural foods, which is, you know, one argument for why people think we shouldn't be eating so much salt. But that said, your body, you know, sodium is a required element. And, you know, we have a very tight range of sodium that needs to be um, kept stable for us to function and to even survive, you know, um, to keep our neurons and our muscle fibers firing and all that. So, um, so the adrenal, being in control of your blood sodium levels is, uh, you know, if you if you have a poorly functioning adrenal gland, that could potentially cause you to have low blood salt or it's called right. hyponatremia. So um, beyond just feeling better from eating salt, I think that eating enough salt when you're in any sort of adrenal stress or adrenal fatigue just takes some of the load off of your adrenal glands for, you know, their their requirement to help retain sodium in the blood. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so some other nutritional factors that we can make sure that we get through the diet would be um, vitamin C for one, because the adrenal gland actually contains a really high concentration of vitamin C compared to all other organs. And vitamin C is required for catecholamine biosynthesis and adrenal um, hormone production. Yeah, I think um, it's funny. I remember Chris Masterjohn saying that the reason why um, traditional Eskimos and Inuits and Native Americans who were eating really low carbs and like no fruit diets, the reason that they didn't get scurvy is because they ate the adrenal glands of the animals, which is kind of crazy. I wouldn't have known that before. 
Yeah, and what happens is vitamin C is actually released from the adrenals in response to ACTH, which is, you know, that beginning of that HPA axis, um, you know, reaction. Um, And so every time we get stressed, the adrenals are actually losing, you know, vitamin C. So to be able to make sure that we can have that um, HPA axis function correctly, you need to make sure that you get enough vitamin C in the diet. um, Or if you need to take supplements to do that, do, you know, take the supplement. Right. And I think that's another um, reason why you wouldn't want to be on a really low carb diet with adrenal fatigue, because it's hard to get enough vitamin C from if you're not eating carby foods. So things like citrus fruits or um, kiwis and that kind of stuff, those have sugar in them, but they're so high in vitamin C that for someone with adrenal fatigue, it's definitely a good thing to be eating. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing too that you want to be sure you're getting enough of is magnesium. And during chronic stress, plasma magnesium is actually just depleted. Um, And magnesium affects the adrenal gland's sensitivity to ACTH, which, like we talked about, is that start of the activation of the HPA axis. So we need to make sure we're getting enough so that when we do get stressed, we can produce that cortisol. So, like, for example, low blood sugar, that's a stress. And we want to be able to produce cortisol in in, um, response to that so we can get our blood sugar back up. So you need to have magnesium to be able to to start that reaction. And so many of us don't consume enough magnesium in the diet. And so I really, you know, supplementation, especially for someone with adrenal fatigue, um, I think is useful um, in terms of magnesium. Yeah. Magnesium is so hard to get enough of in, you know, just by eating foods. Yeah. yeah. And it's not even, it's not even about, um, you know, your food choices necessarily. It's just the fact is that our soils are so depleted from magnesium that it's, even if you're eating tons of plant foods, it's really hard to get enough. Exactly. So definitely consider supplementation with that if, you know, you are suffering with with low cortisol because it's super hard to get. Yeah. And magnesium is one of those nutrients that um, Chris recommends as a maintenance supplement right. for everyone, really. So even if you're not having adrenal fatigue issues... Magnesium is definitely a, a great supplement to use, and it's relatively, um, you know, I wouldn't say harmless. I mean, you can definitely overdo the magnesium, but generally, if you're taking a, a normal, normal yeah, yeah, like a, a serving of the RDA, then you should be okay. Right, exactly. Um, something else that is really important for adrenal function is pantothenic acid. And that's required for the structural integrity of of adrenal glands. Um, And actually, they've done some studies on mice where they, you know, make them be pantothenic acid deficient, and those mice have decreased adrenal function. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. And there's been limited studies on that in humans because it wouldn't really be nice to do that to humans, I guess. (laughs) Um, well, and it's it's actually really hard to not eat panathenic acid right. as far as like a normal amount of food because um, panathenic acid is one of those few vitamins that's literally in anything. That's actually why it's called panathenic because, uh, you know, I think it's Latin or Greek. The, the root word of panathene is um, pan, so it means it's everywhere. But um, that said, I definitely think I've seen recommendations for people with adrenal fatigue to take more 
Like right. Well like above a B, the B complex vitamin is a good idea to take because actually vitamin B6 is really important for it too because that um, basically what happens in uh, vitamin B6 deficient animals is that the glucocorticoid action of cortisol is decreased. So it's just not working, you know, as well. And it's basically vitamin B6 is important to creating cortisol and its function. And B6 is a vitamin that, um, again, is in plants and animals. But the problem with B6 is that it's very heat sensitive. So um, if you're cooking most of your food and cooking for a long time, even though that might be good for some nutrients, it's really bad for B6. Yeah. And one other thing to consider with B6 too, is that women who are on uh, the birth control pills um, should, should get extra vitamin B6 or supplement with it because they've been shown to have lower stores of that too. So yeah, especially if you're on the pill, think about that as well. Right. And then lastly, in terms of diet, I would say, Getting some probiotics in either through, um, you know, through the diet in terms of fermented foods or if you're supplementing with a probiotic supplement, either one is going to be beneficial because gut health is really important in overall health. Um, And what's been shown recently is actually that the gut flora of rats has an effect on the HPA axis. So they did a study where rats that had no exposure to microorganisms, so they called them germ-free rats, they actually had significantly higher ACTH and corticosterone responses to stress than rats with normal gut bacteria. Wow. Right? So it's pretty interesting that the gut, you know, we always hear about the gut-brain axis and that those are are really tightly related, but even, you know, the gut has uh, has a... connection to the HPA axis as well. Yeah, that's the new gut adrenal axis. I guess Chris needs to do a series on that next. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's stress also, it alters the gut um, microbiome too. Right. So if you know, that change is happening, that's probably where this change in the HPA axis is is coming from too. It's kind of like a vicious cycle. Stress harms your gut and then a bad gut makes you stressed. Yeah. And then, you know, one other thing that we already talked about, but just to mention it again, is the licorice root, like you had mentioned, or other adaptogenic herbs. Um, An adaptogen basically um, can help to normalize or or stabilize the the HPA axis function. You know, um, if you have too low cortisol, it can help to increase cortisol. And if it's too high, it can, you know, depending on the, the adaptogen, it can help lower it too. Mm-hmm. So licorice is actually an interesting one because it's an HPA axis potentiator um, rather than, you know, meaning it doesn't increase cortisol production. It just increases basically how long it's active. Right. So um, there's an enzyme called 11-beta-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase. I've actually heard one. about that one in our biochem class. Yeah, yeah. And what, what licorice does is it inhibits that enzyme. So what the enzyme does is converts active cortisol to inactive cortisone. So when the enzyme is inhibited, it enables a potentiated effect of cortisol. So it right. stays active longer. So there's a condition that comes from excessive intake of licorice, or it's actually um, the compound is glycerinic acid, I'm pretty sure. Yep, yep. Or 
I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, that that compound, if you eat too much of it or if you're taking too much as a supplement, can cause something called pseudo-hyper-corticose. Oh, my gosh. I'm, like, forgetting it. We, we learned about it in my biochem class. This is, like, completely off the top of my head, so I'm butchering this really bad. It. But it's basically where you don't have – you don't have too much production of cortisol, as you said. It's just that the cortisol that you're producing is way more active. Right. So it just stays there for yeah. for way longer. And, you know, definitely think about if you already have high blood pressure, um, which is unlikely for people that have actual adrenal fatigue. But if you do have high blood pressure, it's it's contraindicated to take licorice because it can cause even higher blood pressure in some people. It's usually just if you're taking a lot of it, but just to be safe, you know, either talk to your doctor about it or don't take it if you have high blood pressure. Yeah, definitely. Um, sorry, I'm like, I'm trying to remember what that word is. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> no, yeah, no problem. Hyper quarter. Um, oh my gosh, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a tough word. <laughs> yeah, well, I just, I'm looking it up and it's either hyper quarter or corticism or hypercortisolism. So basically just, you know, right. But the, Too much it's specifically pseudo hypercorticos. Oh my gosh. I like this <laughs> word is going to kill me, <laughs> but, um, we get what you mean. Yeah. But, uh, that's definitely something people need to be cons- like, you know, paying attention to because these herbal supplements are not harmless. Um, right. and if someone has high cortisol, taking something like licorice is not going to help and it's just going to make it worse. Exactly. Exactly. That's a really good point. Um, and you know, I, I don't know, Laura, if you've heard of the supplement called DGL, which is D glycerin, you know, that, that compound, the glycerin or glycerin. Right. It's the, it takes the glycerinic acid out of the licorice. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So a lot of people take that for, you know, to help heal the gut. Um, and you take a much higher dose of it when you're using it for that purpose. So they take that compound out so that people, you know, aren't getting so much of that and causing um, high blood pressure. Right. There's also, there are a lot of different herbs, as you were mentioning, that have been used for adrenal fatigue. Um, it's a little bit outside of the scope of this podcast to really go into all the different ones. And also, um, you know, as you being an RD and me being a nutrition student, soon to be RD, um, unfortunately, herbs are one of those things that, you know, may or may not be something that we can really use um, technically. And especially on a podcast, like making recommendations about herbs is difficult because as we were mentioning, it really depends on the person's symptoms and what their situation is. And there's definitely a lot of herbs that can be successfully used, but as a disclaimer, we just think that people, if they're going to be using that stuff, don't just, you know, read a Livestrong article about adrenal fatigue and then go buy a bunch of adrenal supplements, you know? Yeah, figure out where you are in terms of what stage, and I would definitely recommend, you know, speaking to a practitioner about, especially with herbs and and adaptogens like this, um, just figuring out which, which things you should use and what might be beneficial for your case. Right. Because certain things like, you know, adding salt and getting extra B6 and panathenic acid and all that, like, and vitamin C, those things are not going to, those are going to be relatively benign. And, um, you know, it's always good for people to get adequate amounts of those nutrients. But once you start playing around with herbs, I mean, herbs are basically a form of medicine. I mean, a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of 
pharmaceutical medicines come from herbs. So they can be very effective if used in the right way, but they can also be very damaging if they're misused or used under false pretenses of, you know, what you think your problem is. So if you're going to be getting into that kind of stuff, I think it's a really good idea to find a, you know, a knowledgeable practitioner that can help you make those decisions and kind of help you like guide your way through the process of figuring out what's going to help you get better and, um, you know, not cause additional harm. Exactly. So I hope that this gives people a good background. Obviously, you know, this is a really complicated topic, like we mentioned before, but you at least know now what it is, some of the symptoms of it and how it happens, especially in the modern modern world, um, and some dietary recommendations to help deal with it. There are certainly a lot of lifestyle recommendations that we could talk about, but maybe we'll save that for another time um, because obviously those are really important too, but this at least gives you a start with your diet. Right. I think overall, um, things like exercise and stress-relieving activities, I think especially for people with adrenal fatigue, it's really mostly about taking it easy and getting lots of rest. Um, You know, maybe even taking some time off from really intense exercise or even moderate exercise. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. you really need to just not do any strenuous activity for a while until you get your adrenals back on track and then you can get back into running or swimming or, you know, weight training, that kind of stuff that is a little bit more stressful and, you know, in a normal person, that's great. It's good stress. But in a person that is in, you know, what is it? Stage four adrenal fatigue, then even, you know, a a simple couple mile jog is, is probably too much. Right. You got to take it where you are. You know, don't be ashamed to have to take it easy. That that's something that we, I think in this country, we sort of almost looked down upon, which is horrible. Um, We just expect everybody to always be going all the time and be doing a million things. And it's actually a really unhealthy way to live, you know? Right. And just, you know, prioritizing sleep, obviously getting good quality sleep. And I think for someone with adrenal fatigue, even letting themselves sleep in as much as they can Um, I I mean, you don't want to be sleeping. If you're a healthy person, you don't want to be sleeping like 10, 12 hours a night. But if you have adrenal fatigue, I think sleeping as much as you can is really important. And napping if you have the opportunity to. Absolutely. I agree with that. So, But like you said, there's lots of different lifestyle changes that can be made to help deal with this condition. And um, like you said, maybe we'll, uh, we'll answer some more about that if people want to know more on the next Ask the RD session. Yeah, definitely. Great. Well, thanks everyone for listening to our first Ask the RD podcast. Um, Be sure to post your questions on Chris's Facebook page whenever we ask. You know, we're going to send out some calls for questions here and there. So if you see us ask, feel free to add a comment and, you know, ask, ask whatever questions you want and we'll do our best to answer it on our next podcast. Yeah, and you can ask questions too on the you know the comments section of this page as well if you want to. Right, and you know we'll try to get through as many as we can. This was a little bit of a shorter one because it's our first, but we're hoping that this will be a regular feature on Chris's blog. So, anyway, it was great to talk to you, Kelsey, and I'm looking yeah, forward to too. the next one. Sounds good. Bye, Laura. All right, bye, Kelsey.